the road had been long and arduous. Calling it a road is a laughable metaphor, as you had scaled nearly sheer cliffs, been battered by sudden and inclement weather, slept hardly a wink on many a precarious precipice. You had also drunk the cleanest water you'd ever tasted, came upon nests of hippogriffs that were shockingly docile, discovered time-forgotten ruins dug in at impossible heights. And all of this doesn't even compare to the majesty of the creature you set out to find, the hardship of learning you endured at its feet. Your questions answered only brought on more, and you found the days, months, and years passing by in service to the wisdom of the Kirin. Your humble and disciplined lives as acolytes to this holiest of teachers has prepared you for where you are now. Each of you come from one of many corners of the world. Each came for different reasons, discovered different truths. But all of you stayed for the same learning, and all of you departed with the same goal. What you share of your past is yours to decide. What you have in the present is already shared by your companions. And while you take a moment to contemplate the peace and serenity you leave behind you, the likely dangerous journey you have ahead. None of you hesitate to step forward into the now wild and unfamiliar lands beyond your master's domain. Roll a survival check. Okay. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This, a podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons & Dragons and the lore that surrounds them. Hello, celestial beings. I'm Encounter This co-host James Pinnacle Kid, and today Freeman Cloudsitter Eisten will be taking us through the lore and mechanics of Kyrene, found in Wizards of the Coast, Volo's Guide to Monsters for Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition, found on pages 163 to 164. Take us there, Freeman. Okay. So very first thing is to discuss how to pronounce this monster's name. We did not discuss this beforehand. Um, according to the Forgotten Realms wiki, it's pronounced Kirin or Kyrin, with the emphasis on the second syllable. Okay. I take a bit of issue with this, which we'll get into later, simply because of the creature that it is inspired from in the IRL lore and how that should be pronounced. Okay. Um, but however you want to say it, from, from here on out, I'm going to be calling it the Kirin, with a, a bit of emphasis on both syllables. Okay, I'm going to go with Kyrin. Okay. <laughs> just to keep things uh, smooth and, and consistent. <laughs> just start it off, yeah. Okay. Well, I don't. Yeah, I understand where you get key, yeah. um, because that's that's how that word right. should be pronounced. Uh, the hyphen. I'll tell you right now. The hyphen is put in there purely for aesthetic reasons. It's oh, yeah? not meant to be there. I don't know why it's there at all. Okay. Uh, so I mean, think like Kirin Ichiban, the 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 beer. That's literally the beer is named after the creature that this is inspired by. Kirin. There's your there's your fact of the podcast right there. <laughs> uh, I don't know what Ichiban means, but Kirin is 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 there. In any case, uh, <laughs> the Kirin uh, appears as far back as the first edition. Uh, the only exception being fourth edition. Um, it's the only one that was left out of. So it appears in first, second, third, and fifth. And it looks fucking dope in third edition. It it's looks like awesome. a majestic unicorn with a mane. Yeah, I suggest to any of our listeners who do decide to become patrons, you'll, you'll have access to our show notes. And I've started a, a, hopefully a trend of, of uh, putting the images in our show notes 
so that we can quickly reference them. Speaking of patron, we should give out a give out a shout out to our first ever patron. That's not me because I literally promised this in Night Hags <laughs> and I re-listened to it this morning because uh, it dropped today. Yeah. Uh, his name is Corey Nash. Corey Nash. Corey yes. Nash. Thank you, Corey Nash. Good friend of mine from from back home in East Coast Canada. And uh, I woke up this morning to two text messages. One of them was James screaming to the high heavens, we have our first patron. And the other one was Corey saying, I had to take a moment and stop sipping my coffee and frown when you made a bad pun. <laughs> <laughs> and you pretty much uh, pay, uh, became a patron right after that. That's, <laughs> so, that's amazing. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, um, I, I did want to make sure we, we pointed that out because as one of my best friends, uh, Josh uh, Unrec, General Ham Solo on Twitter, uh, tweeted out that we are now technically professionals. We're getting paid to do this. Amazing. How, how cool is that? How cool is that? We're not just being paid out of your your credit card. I mean, that was pocket. that was a dollar. <laughs> like Patreon hasn't even paid that out yeah. yet. But, yeah. yeah. In any case, uh, let's get back to <laughs> yeah. back to Kieran. 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 Um, so they are noble and celestial creatures, uh, and in the outer planes, the Kieran will serve deities of good and take a direct role in the fight against uh, the fight and struggle between good and evil. In the mortal world, they are harbingers of destiny, guardians of the sacred. And a counterbalance to evil, specifically a counterbalance. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, that yeah, that seems to be the role that they are meant to play, and at least they probably see themselves as playing. And the, the gods they serve would see them as this as well. Uh, now they are considered to be good personified, considered to be the embodiment of good. Merely seeing one can strike awe and fear into any observer. There's a really good quote in Volo's Guide to Monsters. I was just going to ask about that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so good. And it's from Volo himself. And it reads, I was awed to tears at the sight of my first Kieran, and I've met gods. That's cool. Yeah, that's, that's um, so good. Yeah, so they, they are a magnificently beautiful creature and just awe-inspiring. They typically take on the form of a stag roughly the size of an elephant. And uh, they're covered in golden scales, complemented with golden fur. Their mane and tail are dark gold, and their cloven hooves copper, along with a spiraled horn atop their head. I sense a theme in your episodes. <laughs> Very luxurious. Their eyes emit a luminous violet color, and in a breeze or when flying, their mane and tail can appear as if they are ablaze with holy golden fire. However, these descriptions can vary depending on the deity they serve, though coloration remains consistent throughout. Some take the shape of a horse and resemble a giant unicorn and serve as holy guardians. While others will take on more draconic features and are hyper-aggressive against evil. Really? Yeah. And while a single horn is most common, an especially fierce Kirin can sometimes bear two horns or antlers of a great stag. A binocorn. <laughs> Dos alicorns. Dos alicorns. <laughs> uh, their physical appearance in third edition was much more unicorn like, uh, but still scaly, and their mane is like really big, like a lion's. Just before we started recording, you said to me, the third edition looks awesome. <laughs> it, yeah, it does. Yeah. I think I said that on, on Mike, too. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay, well. <laughs> fairly, fairly confident. It was one of the first things I commented well, on. Now it's been said twice. Everyone go to the Forgotten Realms wiki and take a look at the third edition. There, there aren't a lot of things. I, I think this word is, is overused, quite like epic these days. But I really do find this creature to be absolutely majestic. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's uh, just wait till you learn more about them because that that's a perfect. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they are bringers of boons. What a dumb sentence. <laughs> They're the boon bringers. Boon bringers. Don't I don't like that word. 
Uh, <laughs> common folk in the material world consider Kieran to be rare and remote heralds of good fortune. What the... Okay. That's that's a direct Let, quote. Rare and remote heralds of good fortune. Okay, rare and remote. Yeah. Probably a comma, heralds of good fortune. Uh, no, no. Okay, then there's a first part of the sentence that would modify that, because remote heralds yes. of good fortune is not a thing that makes sense well, they, in, yeah. this, in a sentence. <laughs> Kyrene are rare, and the remote heralds of good fortune. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. Let's, the, the rare, I, think, I think the word remote in there is just meant to emphasize the rarity. Like, you don't, not only do you seldom see them, but if you do, and they're in remote places. Okay. But uh, okay. in those places, they are heralds of good fortune. All right, that, that makes sense. Grammatic... Grammatics. I mean, it just blew my mind wide open for a hot second there. It's pretty late here, listeners. uh. (laughs) Um, So, spying when flying overhead is seen as a blessing. And if a Kieran descends during a birth or a coronation is believed to be a sign of great good in the future. A Kieran flying over great battles is said to inspire and strengthen the side of good. And they may even rescue heroes in the brink of death. That's an interesting one to me, but yeah. we, we can move on. Well, we'll definitely explore that. In the material plane, the Kirin will choose a territory to watch over, and this territory could encompass several nations. On other planes, Kirin, a Kirin that has chosen to serve a, a good deity... Capital will, G. <laughs> ...will go where commanded, and this could include the material plane for particular missions or, or goals. Okay. Good deities that a Kirin will be attracted to usually represent courage, loyalty, selflessness, and truth. Uh, example given would be Torm from Faerun, or perhaps his allies Tyr and Ilmater. Ilmater? Ilmater? Ilmater, the, Ilmater. the triad. Yeah, 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 the triad. Um, uh, the triad and, and, and gods of good. Now, according to the second edition book, Monster Mythology, by Carl Sargent, they had a patron deity named Coriel. I found nothing about it, though. Uh, but it was one, I think they embodied Akira in themselves, or Coriel did. Okay. Um, kind of like of, the Pindred Sid of Unicorns? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A lot of the Forgotten Realms wiki references pointed towards the third edition Orient, Oriental Adventures book by James Wyatt. Fifth edition is the only edition not to receive a version of Oriental Adventures so far. I wonder why that could possibly be. <laughs> I knew you were, were going to cringe at that. <laughs> so Oriental Adventures has been uh, a supplement or setting um, book that has existed yeah. since before 5 I'm, I'm well familiar with it. That's what yeah. Jade Regent and Pathfinder is based on. Is, oh, is it? Okay. Is, uh, is the Oriental cool. Adventures. Yeah. Um, now, Kieran's are also considered... Objects of adoration, like they're renowned for their wisdom. Other creatures naturally seek them out for answers to questions or to make requests. This causes the Kirin to make their home in difficult to reach places such as on top of a formidable mountain peak <laughs> or other nearly impossible to reach places. They hate questions almost as much as I do. <laughs> like, shoe fly, don't bother me. <laughs> oh, goes the, uh, ki- ki- go the Kirin. No, no. Where do you find it? <laughs> on top of the mountain? <laughs> the fuck? Well, okay, no, hold on. So <laughs> they do this for the purpose uh, of... Uh, so this, it's, it's a way for those who can find the fortitude or have the tenacity to reach the lair that they're deemed worthy of its wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is actually a common trope in, uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in Eastern religions and cultures. That's Big why time, a lot yeah. of the, the more higher end temples are built mm-hmm. high up. Right. Yeah. Um, so many who seek the guidance of Kirin are awarded and they often end up in the service of the Kirin as disciples. That I like. Yeah. They, they will serve as scouts, messengers or spies or as acolytes or monks under its tutelage. 
They may travel the land seeking news of growing evil or become champions for their masters, uh, for their master's cause and fight against evil and villainy. It seems to me that they, those who serve a Kirin reflect a Kirin serving their own chosen god. This is just like something that I thought of as, as I was sort of covering this. Um, uh, there's like a, a pseudo hierarchy uh, in in that where you know the the Kirin uh, in the material plane seems to be this teacher, this master for those who seek it out, but Kirins in the outer planes will seek out the master of a good god. Right. So if a Kirin is sent by, like they will seek out a god to serve, and then this god will send them to the material plane, where in turn they sort of act like a material plane deity themselves. So wisdom, and you have to be deemed worthy to, yeah. to serve them, and that sort of thing. Okay, I, I like all that. Um, how are they made? Don't know. Okay, uh, that definitely, definitely never ever cover that. They they seem to be they just exist. They exist okay. in the outer planes and especially in the, in the celestial areas. So choose your own adventure, listeners. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's cool. Lots of room that's for cool. That. I like that. Hmm. So we'll look at the uh, real life lore at this point. Sorry, I I just got this picture of of Tyr the one armed god breaking in a key ring. <laughs> like, just. <laughs> Taming it like a Mustang. <laughs> well, they are not wild. They are not... Do, do not confuse them with a unicorn, that's for sure. Yeah. They are highly intelligent creatures. Oh, yeah? Massively. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I'm, I'm going to stop trying to jump ahead. <laughs> I don't know why this, yeah. uh, this episode's got my brain spinning. Mm. Oh, these creatures are cool. So we're looking at the we look at the, the real life uh, mythology that they're specifically inspired by a creature from Chinese and East Asian cultures. Uh, the spelling of the D and D version comes from the Japanese uh, version of this creature, the Kirin, okay. K I R I N. Um, now the wiki page that I, I got most of my information from and all the references uh, covers the more Chinese version, and this creature also appears in most cultures, like Korean. Uh, and Vietnamese being pretty prominent, and I think a bit in Thailand as well. Um, but now the Q-I-L-I-N spelling, the sort of ang- anglicized version of, of the Chinese word, um, a friend of mine, Jonathan, who is a big fan of like Asian and Chinese culture, uh, he's all into like the uh, tea and proper tea service and ceremonies and all that stuff. And uh, so I asked him, I was like, I, I think you would have a better idea how to pronounce this. I was having a hard time finding something that ha- would help me pronounce this word. Yeah, trust me, I, I know that game. Yeah, <laughs> and he specified that a lot. There's there's certain ways to pronounce certain syllables in in uh, a lot of, especially Mandarin. I think he said, and sometimes they uh, each syllable will take a dip. Uh, its own dip. So, mm. from w- I'm going to do my best, but it's supposed to be pronounced something along the lines of Chilin. And so, this creature, the Chilin, um, is considered a mythical and chimerical creature and okay. is said to appear during the imminent arrival or passing of a sage or illustrious ruler. Hmm. It belongs to a specific category of one horned mythological beasts known as Lin. Uh, and I did not dive into the other beasts for two reasons. One, there was no easily accessible article that discussed th- this category uh, that I could find. And there's already so much here for the Chilin that I, it would just take too much time. Um, I, I was diving a little bit and found a few creatures that occasionally would have a, one ho- uh, a single horn. But it just it was, became, was becoming too much to, to absorb and certainly organize. Yeah, fair. Yeah. So the Chilin are considered to be a symbol of many things, among them luck, good omens, protection, prosperity, success, and longevity, and to some degree also a symbol of fertility. 
Physically, they share Chinese dragon-like features, particularly their heads, eyes with thick lashes and manes that flow upward along with the beards. The body will be fully or partially scaled and resemble an ox, deer, or horse, and always depicted with cloven hooves. Okay. Chinese dragons also have antlers, so it's common to see a chilin with antlers as well. Some goes, same goes for the usual golden color that a Chinese dragon usually has. The chilin is often represented as such, but the color can range from any color of the rainbow. They can be multicolored, and this goes for fur, hide, and scales alike. Chilin can be depicted as having certain body parts on fire, and some will have fluffy, curly tufts of hair or feathery features. Apparently, the fluffy tufts are common in Ming Dynasty horse art, specifically. Okay. Yeah. So, yep. like, just on, like, on their Definitely. ankles and that, and that sort of thing, yep. it's a very common 100% feature. 100% agree. Yeah. <laughs> as, you, as you would know, yeah. James, fluffy tufts are common in the Ming Dynasty horse art. <laughs> um, uh, they may even have... <laughs> They may even have decorative fish-like fins or carp-like whiskers or even fish-like scales as opposed to these more dragony ones. Okay. Uh, often depicted as bejeweled or as... <laughs> as, as what? what did I do? No, you're good. You're okay. Good. Sorry. <laughs> often, as, often depicted as bejeweled or as beautiful as jewels themselves, like a Chinese dragon. They are usually colored in a fashion to represent the elements, precious metals, stars, or gemstones, but they can have more modest, earthy tones of brown as well. Their voices are said to sound like the tinkling of bells, chimes, or the wind, and they could walk on grass without disturbing it. Okay, that's, that's all really neat information. I do have probably the question of the hour. How are they different from Chinese dragons then? Uh, they have, it's the, the, the big thing on the physical point is that they have the body of an okay. ox, horse, or deer. Gotcha. Um, they very much have those, those dragon-like heads and they do have the scales and they do share all of these, all of these other elements. Yeah, and the um, manes and the Ming Dynasty horse tufts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and to some degree, there is a tier of power. Um, amongst mythical creatures in, in these Asian cultures, which mm -hmm. I will dive into in just a moment. Oh, cool. Uh, I, I don't know much about it, but it, it does, I do touch on it in the notes here. So mythological and sort of cultural variants in Taoist mythology, uh, it states that despite their fearsome appearance, they only punish the wicked. And we know for a fact that that's pronounced Taoist. Taoist. Oh, that's a T there. Yep. That's... Okay. <laughs> I don't know. You know. I don't yep. know. <laughs> that's, that's the faith that I follow. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> this resulted in variations in telling of uh, court trials or judgments based on Chilin knowing whether or not a defendant was good or evil and guilty or innocent. So... In tales, like sort of tales yep. in, in this in this mythology, um, literal court trials would be determined based on one of these mythical creatures, yeah. like knowledge. Or uh, a lot of the information for, for this uh, belief is passed on via, what is the term when it's a story, but it's not really about the thing, but the end is about the thing? An anecdote? Yeah, I guess, yeah. It's... Yeah, a lot of parable? the... A parable, there you go, thank mm. you. Yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of the information is passed along via parable. Yeah, okay, yeah, sure, fair enough. Uh, and that makes sense, uh, to have, yeah. you know, that this mythical creature that's all wise and, and, and very, very, uh, very powerful, and it, it has this sort of innate ability to, to know whether or not someone is good or evil. Yeah, and it, it would reinforce yeah. it at the end of the parable. For sure, like, yeah. Reinforce the veracity mm -hmm. of it. Uh, in Buddhist depictions of the Chilin, 
they say that they refuse to walk on grass for fear of hurting even a single blade. So they are often seen walking on water or a cloud. Cool. Yeah. As divine beings, their diets do not include flesh, and they are careful to never tread upon any other living creature. Appearing only in areas ruled by a wise leader, they become fierce and aggressive when a pure person is targeted or attacked by a malicious one. It sounds very Jainist. Agreed. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Off air, we'll go into a little bit of okay, Jainist theory. Sure. <laughs> yeah. um, and these ones in the, in the Buddhist depictions specifically will spout fires from their mouths and other power. Have, they have other powers that vary from story to story cool. as well. Yeah. Uh, in Korea, uh, Jirin or Kirin uh, with a G for the first one, they have been extensively used in royal and Buddhist arts and are among the four divine creatures alongside the dragon, the phoenix, and the turtle. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know they were that high up. Mm. Uh, in Japan, Kirin, they tend to be depicted more deer-like than in Chinese culture and tend to be more unicorn-like, but with a backwards curving horn. That adds up. Yeah. That's and if you look at the second edition art, it has the backwards curving horn. Oh, cool. In Chinese culture, they are represented oh, as the yeah. third most powerful creature beyond, behind the dragon and the phoenix. In Japan, however, they occupy the top spot for power. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I wonder why there's not... I can't think of a Pokemon like this. Maybe maybe, maybe X? Is X one of these? Uh, I'm, I'm out of the loop after gold and silver pretty yeah, much, to be honest. I, I played a couple of them, but I, I never mem- put any of them to memory. <laughs> Listeners, is, is the one from X, is that a Kyrene? Um, also, if you know a whole lot about Japanese culture, is that horn curved backwards to mimic the curve in the katana? We're going to pause for 30 seconds while you yell into your headset the answer. Go. Okay, 30 seconds is a long time. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) How about you just tweet at us? Yeah, that works too. Um, So... There are a few origins and famous appearances for the Chilin. Uh, we've got, uh, the, I mean, the earliest references go, date back to as early as 5th century BCE. Uh, wow. It's appeared in both works of history and fiction, such as the famous 16th century novel uh, by uh, Feng Shen Bang. I'm not saying that right, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, or otherwise known as the creation of the gods. Okay. Yeah. And apparently Emperor Wu of the Han Dynasty had captured one live in 122 BC, BCE. But Sima, uh, Sima Qian, uh, I'm going to go with that, who is considered the grandfather of Chinese histi- historiography, which is a word apparently, uh, yeah. <laughs> who's also from the Han Dynasty, who was very skeptical of this claim, understandably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> legends tell of a Chilin appearing in the garden of the famous Yellow Emperor and in the capital of Emperor Yao. Both are a part of the three sovereigns and five emperors, which are a part of two categories of mythological rulers and deities in ancient northern China. It is also said a Chilin foretold of the, bir- the birth of the great Chinese sage Confucius. Cool. Uh, more information on Confucius and the rulers and deities, I highly recommend, and this is my second time recommending this, a video by John Green in Crash Course World History. It's episode seven. Right. And he'll cover, he covers that. And there's a whole history surrounding um, uh, the creation of, of, of their, they are fictional rulers of China. We now know for a fact they okay. were fictional. They never existed. But for, me, for a long, long time, there was this trend of, of pretending these, uh, these uh, rulers would become deities and become mythological rulers. Um, and so like real ones would 
would uh, would die or, uh, or would be defeated by uh, one that was more superior. And it was uh, there's this whole like cyclical uh, learning your lesson, justifying the next ruler as being good kind of uh, thing that started with a fictional tale. I believe surrounding the Yellow Emperor and that sort of thing, and Confucius was a huge part of documenting all of this. So oh, that video, okay. that video was super cool. It's not long; it's like twelve minutes, maybe. Uh, highly, yeah, highly re- recommend. Remind me, and we'll link that in the show notes. Definitely. Uh, so during the Ming Dynasty, a Chinese mariner, explorer, and diplomat, Zhang He, had ventured into East Africa, modern-day Somalia, and purchased giraffes from Somali merchants along with zebras, incense, and other exotic animals. Love where this is going. The, gi- the giraffes were referred to as Qilin when they were turned uh, to Nanjing by the emperor. Uh, he proclaimed the magical creatures whose capture signaled the greatness of his power. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do anything, but these are fucking awesome and you should worship me. Exactly. Cool. Attributes, uh, the Chilin are thought to have, uh, certain attributes of the Chilin are thought to have come from these giraffes. And these include vegetarianism and quiet nature, the ability to walk on grass without disturbing it, quote unquote, possibly due to the giraffe's long and thin legs. Yeah, they would, uh, they would space it out real, yeah. real hard. Antler or horn-like features, uh, along with scaled appearances, possibly from the giraffes' ossicones. Their yep. horns are called ossicones, and the tessellated pattern on their coat. To this day, the words for giraffe and chielin in Japanese and Korean remain the same word. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Now, Dra- um, giraffes have antlers, right? They're not horns. They are ossicones. Okay, so there's something <laughs> that's completely the word. different. It's right in there. Okay. Quote, quote. I didn't look into what ossicones were exactly, but they have their own category. Yeah, because of- horns are bone antlers are cartilage that falls off right ossicones is probably cartilage that doesn't fall off okay modern yes (laughs) more modern strokes uh yeah more modern strokes uh of the chilin some some stories indicate that the chilin uh were sacred pets or familiars of deities okay uh as such a ritual dances of chinese culture uh the chilin ranks high in the hierarchy third in fact behind the dragon and the phoenix Gotcha. So, so we, we got another, first and third. Yeah. However, Wiki had no citation for this, and I could not find anything to support that that exact claim when it comes mm. to the ritual dances. A Chilean dance movements are con- characterized by fast, powerful strokes of the head, and is regarded as a difficult dance to perform due to the weight of the head and the need for quick and sudden bursts of movement and energy. A Chilean is also often translated into English as unicorn as is occasionally Surprise. depicted to have a signal horn. Uh, the whole reason I had chosen to do this creature because I, I immediately thought, you know, uh, that there I was like, here's the other single horn creature in 5e. Yeah. I'll explore that uh, and unicorn back to back. I think it's a great choice. And yeah. I, I'm so far, I'm really loving the order that you did it in because everything about the Chilin is everything that I think should have been true about the unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> totally, <laughs> absolutely. Oh man, we're 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 hard on these creatures. <laughs> so, anything under CR ten, we're pretty hard yeah. on. Um, so uh, now, uh, in in uh, the Chinese uh, Chinese language, I believe Mandarin specifically, uh, there is a separate word for unicorn. I've written it there. I'm not even going to remotely attempt to tra- uh, to to say that. I don't know if you want to. Du uh, Shao. Perfect. Um, which that specifically means one horned beast. So that's what they use for unicorn. For the record, that's. Probably not accurate. I have no experience with neither Cantonese, Mandarin, or any of the regional dialects. I speak English and bad French and even worse German. And I'm not even quite there. <laughs> now, because, White <laughs> because there are a number of one-horned mythological creatures, um, when depicted with a one-horned chilin, will be referred to as a one-horned chilin. 
Okay. Yeah. Cool. And, and because of the shared similarities of the Chilean and the Western unicorn, such as whimsical, supernatural, mythical, and mystical, and even religious origins, the Chinese government actually minted a coin in the 90s with a Chilean on one side and the unicorn on the other. And I put a little oh, there. Oh, awesome. And it looks, it looks great. It's super, I, I want to add that to my collection. It's a very... <laughs> Are they, do you know if they're expensive? I have no idea. Okay, I'm yeah. going to try and track one of those down. <laughs> that would be sweet. I, I got some cool coins in my collection, so mm. that would be, that'd be an interesting addition. Now, differences and similarities in those lores, I think a, a tremendous amount is shared here. Even if not, I mean, of course, when we, when we dive into the real world lore, it, it's always like it changes from culture to culture, you know, geographically, religiously, and definitely along whatever timeline they, they sort of were believed in. Yeah, um, but, not to get too general, but East Asia seems to be kind of a general melting pot for yeah, mythologies. For sure. And and the uh, this one... I, I feel like everything in the 5e, almost everything in the 5e uh, description and lore was hit on at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much from the demeanor to their physical attributes, it, yeah. it's covered. Except for the relation to the giraffe. Yes, I agree completely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, even in brief moments of them, like they, they served or, or, or visited a supposed deities. So mm-hmm. we're familiar with them, a familiar of them or a servant. Uh, symbolizing the protection and from evil and divi- uh, and they were you know symbolized as div- uh, divine. Actually, a lot of those lessons seem to come specifically from the Buddhist version that you were talking about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so like that's, the, that's the more, cool. Yeah, the more moral ones. Yeah. Well, I mean the the divinity or mm-hmm. the the deities, the um, the demeanor, the not touching the grass, mm-hmm. the the good omen, as well as. Um, I'm sure there are some real monasteries dedicated to the legacy of the Kyrene. Mm-hmm. Or qui- qui- ch- Chilin. 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 <laughs> now, I found no mention uh, in the real world lore of them being sages themselves or living high atop a mountain at all. And I think that also comes back to the Buddhist monasteries that would be high up on the mountain sure. because you had to fucking earn enlightenment. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I found no evidence of the ability to fly other than the, the, you know, the mention of them walking water or possibly being on a cloud. It didn't really say if they were seen on a cloud high above you or maybe they just were, you yeah. know, standing on some fog right in front of you. <laughs> I'm just picturing Nimbus from Dragon Ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's exactly, exactly what I was thinking of. Um, uh, the D and D seems to have amal- uh, the D and D version seems to have amalgamated them with a couple Chinese dragon elements, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, especially uh, the physical ones. Yeah, I think it's uh, my guess is it's due to the fact they already have a huge range of dragons, probably more more of that traditional European Norse kind of style yeah. across the board. So they probably didn't want uh, to uh, to um, conf- like sort of m- not muddle muddles the wrong word. They didn't want to. Uh, overcomplicate the range of dragons by adding a, a totally separate one. So it seems like the, instead of making a Chinese dragon or a version of a Chinese dragon dilute. within the game, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dilute, that's the word. They didn't want to dilute the, the register they already had. So instead of making a specifically a Chinese dragon um, creature for D&D, they seem to have like put some of the elements that they would be into this this Kirin or Chilin. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And I mean, uh, I think the main physical attribute of Chinese dragons is that they don't fly, and we see a lot of that in Drakes. Drakes mm-hmm. in D&D do not fly. Right, yeah. Um, so it's important to note that I saw no mention of a Kirin being written as a mount. 
However, Akira apparently was written by a Kirin writer in the Dakashi Miike film, The Great Yokai War, and, which I think was from 2005. And it was... Uh, Must have missed that one. Yeah. It's also available as a mount in the online uh, Final Fantasy XIV game. And if you Google search it, it looks pretty fucking cool, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but otherwise, I don't believe these creatures were ever intended to be um, something to be written. Um, this and, is, uh, you don't tend to ride the envoy of a god, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. who am I to judge? Uh, but not even the gods themselves yeah. deign to, to mount them, you know? I mean, if a hag yeah. can ride in a cauldron, like, <laughs> I'm sure some sort of halfling paladin or could probably... Or a house on chicken legs. <laughs> yeah, you could probably ride a Kyrene. Yep. <laughs> it's your game, listeners. So th- these examples are clearly separate from the, the, the usual folklore and mythology like surrounding the creatures. Cool. No. no, I like that a lot. You know what else I like, Freeman? What's that? Delicious, delicious blackmail beer that I just spilled on my keyboard again. <laughs> you just replaced that laptop. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thankfully, it's it's still under warranty. But uh, <laughs> thankfully, we have blackmail to. If you did, if you did destroy it, you have you would have blackmail to make up for it. That's that's so to treat true. yourself yeah. right and make yourself feel better. And treat yourself, listeners, if you live in the. Vancouver area to a delicious can of blackmail stout. <laughs> My friend Corey again was was uh, messaged me uh, about how he wished uh, he could get some. He was he was trying to find it at this the store in New Brunswick, East Coast. He was like, no oh. way, man! You're never gonna find that. No, <laughs> he definitely misses it. So boutique. Yeah, and he actually did ask if we're. He's like, are you actually sponsored? I was like, no. <laughs> They've given us some cans, yeah, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't even think anyone's listening over there, though. So <laughs> probably not. It's but, fine. Uh, it's fine. Um, I guess also we should shout out a big thank you to Libras Arcana. They're going to uh, we're going to do a giveaway when we reach 150 followers on Facebook or 250 followers on Facebook. I, I can't remember. But go like us on Facebook. We are facebook.com backslash encounter this, and you could be the lucky winner to a free one month dice subscription. Yeah, which I'm a I'm a big fan of personally. Uh, yeah, James has a incredible and constantly growing uh, collection of it's, dice. It is out of control. We're <laughs> we're getting so around good. forty sets or something like that. Like it's <laughs> it's getting it's, oh man, it's, it's it's getting bad. I've got like I think at this point I've got two and a half sets because I've lost some. I mean, and, I, and I still manage to forget to bring them to the session. Oh, Mechanically, that's not even viable. <laughs> So Speaking bad. of mechanics. Speaking of mechanics. Take us to the action, Freeman. Uh, all right. So here I, I'm I'm predicting that you're going to be less than enthused with this creature. All right. Let's let's find out. But uh, so we, we've got a CR 12 is the second highest. The Rakshasa being a 13, right. which is our highest right. so far. Uh, these guys have stats that are high right across the board. Um, lowest being 16 for Dex and Con, but they have a 21 strength. 19 Intelligence, and 20 Wisdom and Charisma. Okay. Um, so AC's 20. That's, that's huge for yep. 16 decks. Yeah, big time. Oh, we're looking at like 16, we'll add like a plus 3, right, at that point? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, their so natural armor is going to be... 17 for scales. 17 I wonder for if, scales I wonder all if over that's body. consistent. I wonder if that compares to Yanti at all. I think it's probably, I don't know, but I would imagine a lot of it comes from the fluffy tufts <laughs> <laughs> on its ankles as a distraction, you know? Directly inspired uh, by the Ming Dynasty. <laughs> you're having a really hard time uh, destroying this flying horse art, <laughs> uh, which, by the way, does have a fly speed. Uh, okay, cool. At 120 feet 
per round. That makes it can sense. Hover on ground, it's sixty feet, but like that that bitch is flying. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Why, why would you fly when you can hover? Crazy. Um, they are a huge creature. Okay, interesting. Uh, and celestial, of course. They were magical beasts in third edition. Right. Um, but they are they are big. They are not small. Yeah, I yeah. always pictured them as large. Yeah, they're, they're not meant to be ride. Uh, not to be not meant to not be ride. Not meant to be ride. <laughs> Ridden. Um, they were <laughs> Sounds like a Guns N' Roses song. <laughs> uh, they, uh, they're lawful good, and this is the case across all editions they've been featured in. Okay, cool. I, I like that. I love it when there's some consistency across the editions. Yeah. I think that's really it's, neat. It's cool. Um, they speak all languages. And I believe that's consistent across all editions as well, to some degree anyway. But they speak all languages, and they do it telepathically up to 120 feet. I think that's a very unique trait as well. Mm. I don't... You don't see that very often. No, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Right. Uh, We're talking a powerful and intelligent creature that's only going to be able to do that. Yeah, it can handle a party of four level seven PCs. (laughs) Now, they've got uh, a dark vision 120 feet. Okay. Uh, which is a little bit, you know, mundane, I guess. Um, but they do have blind sight for thirty feet. That's cool. Which is pretty nifty. High, high uh, passive perception plus nine to perception and uh, insight, and plus eight to religion. It's weird to me that that's the weak one, but it, <laughs> it's, it? it's also yeah. an intelligence skill versus the other two that are wisdom skills. Right. So that yeah. that makes sense. Probably the reason. Yeah. I also look at a four versus five. Yeah, I also don't cotton that religions, and I mean, I understand that it's an intelligence skill, but I feel like it should be wisdom. Mm. Uh, they have no resistances or vulnerabilities, but they are immune to poison and the poisoned condition. Don't poison anything, <laughs> especially if it's celestial. It honestly, huh? just I mean, a celestial undead fiends. It's like it just it at this point, it kind of seems useless. Yeah, it's only good against the PCs. <laughs> Use it to the, on the highwaymen. Yeah, yeah, I guess PCs, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, orcs. I guess. Sure. Yeah. We've, we'll move on to basic traits. They do have innate spellcasting, charisma being their modifier. Okay. Um, spell safety DC of 14. Ooh. I think this is Ooh. pretty low, yeah. Yeah, it's super low for a CR12. <laughs> uh, I think this is, uh, that, that uh, ability score um, is, is interchangeable just for flavor-wise because they're both equally as charismatic as they are wives. But, yeah, you know. I mean, that, that DC to me is like... Well, okay, okay, let's talk about what the spells are. First. Sure, yeah, of course. So at will, they can uh, use gaseous form, uh, major image at sixth level. Awesome. And wind walk. And then once per day, they can use create food and water. Useless, but yeah. The other, the other three are pretty good. Um, I, I don't know wind walk personally, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know it off the top of my head, but I did make a note of it on my phone. The hell that is. Um, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> now. Uh, we've we've discussed this a number of times and how much issue you take. And uh, you're you've basically got me on your side at this point. How how annoying it is to give creatures PC spell casting abilities and and that sort of thing. That's why I'm wary about whether you're going to find this creature impressive on a mechanical level. Yeah. Um. That create food and water thing play ties into the lair. We'll yeah. Get into lair. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So that's I think that's why it's sort of there as. It's sort of there as, as, in a way, like, we have to put it there for everything to be consistent rather yeah. than being something interesting and viable. Yeah, I understand that it has to be mechanically consistent with the other creatures that they made. I just mm-hmm. don't agree with this specific mechanical choice. For sure. But the more I read, the more we get into this, the more I'm starting to even get on the side against fancy and magic. And mm-hmm. that is that is a Patreon-only exclusive, I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's going to be ours. Um, so they do have uh, magic resistance and magic weapons. Uh, kind of makes sense. Okay, the magic resistance I like. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's great. Yeah. That's that 
adds to the CR immediately mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. The uh, They have uh, what's called legendary resistance. This is the first time I think we've come across this. Three times a day, yeah. they can decide to succeed a failed saving throw. Yeah, also, also worth the CR right there. Like, yeah. that's that's great. Not only do they have advantage on saving throws, they can just they can just pass. Um, I'm not sure, but I think legendary resistances can be done after the fact. Oh, yes. Yeah, because they're able yeah. to succeed on a failed saving yeah. throw. So you can roll and you're like, they can be like, nah, I'm succeeding this yeah. time. I mean, honestly, as the GM, you have that power anyway. Mm-hmm. Kind of a useless right. mechanic, but yeah. <laughs> it's it's cool that it's justified uh, rules is written. Yeah. So. Now, this year might also uh, 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 be a part of their CR. They are an 18th level spellcaster. Yeah, this, is, this I like. So this right here uh, is going to flip our, our, our negative reaction right away. Um, as a spell, innate spellcasting is separate from being a spellcaster. So yep. innate spellcasting is that's their natural ability. It's a charisma modifier, and that the DC is fourteen. As an eighteenth level spellcaster, it's a wisdom modifier to okay. use, cool. and their spell DC is seventeen. Yep, that that works for me. I and like that's that. going to add up. They have a plus nine to hit, and they use cleric spells. Totally, and they makes have sense. a huge list prepared. Yeah, I mean. Uh, like like any creature, just go through and pick two or three that you like, and then just fuck sure. about with those. But so I, I like that they're cleric spells. I think that's really thematically consistent. Yeah, yeah they've got some uh, obvious ones that just fit with the theme for, like, say, under cantrips. They've got spare the dying um, right away in that that reference that they might like help uh, save a hero on the brink of death in the middle yeah. of battle. Uh, Sacred flame, an obvious like just simple uh, aggressive action. Yeah, radiant damage. Cure wounds in first level command. Uh, Command is interesting. Yeah, sanctuary. These all fit the mode for sure. Command's an enchantment spell. Is it? Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's enchantment. Um, That's an interesting one. Anyway, they do also have like things like so. Second level, they have calm emotions, lesser reservation. Uh, Third level, dispel magic, remove curse. These are all very obvious things that someone might seek them out for. Yeah, Yeah, can you can you restore me? Can you remove this curse? Um, they have banishment at the fourth level, freedom of movement, guardian of faith. What? Yeah, banishment is weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a weird one. But okay, guardian of faith yeah. is is cool. Freedom yeah. of movement's cool. I don't understand why they need freedom of movement, but that's probably we'll we'll get into homebrews and, and how to use them in combat. But I don't imagine these being against the PCs like like yeah, unicorns. It's so unlike unlikely so. that this creature is going to be against the, the yeah. PCs. Yeah, I mean they're they're pretty much a, a buff. Mm-hmm. Uh, a fifth level, a fifth level spell that they got greater restoration, mass cure wounds, scrying. You know, scrying's not really going to be much use. Disagree. I think scrying yeah. is uh, scrying is a great out of combat mechanic. Sure. I okay. Really, I uh, so yeah, if this is this thing's your ally, and you're seeking out some information that can scry and maybe help you find something. Yeah, I mean, it also adds kind of like this omnipotentness to dominion over their domain. Mm-hmm. I, again, I, I'm not particularly sure. familiar with the layers and we'll get into that but yeah. i think that's where scrying is going to come in w- whether or not they have that kind of omnipotence like unicorns do over their right. lair yeah um so they also have a, a spell called hero's feast and uh, true seeing i don't know what the fuck I hero's feast is i don't know either of those either true seeing i know true seeing is insane is it basically grants you true we sight? talked about true seeing did we yeah yeah it is true sight mm-hmm. yeah it grants you true we've sight. talked yeah we talked about true sight and that is in that bonus episode in the bonus episode yeah, earlier, Jesus, yeah we need to put that out <laughs> <laughs> it may be up by now, listeners. Um, they also have etherealness and plane shift. Yeah, great, great. Um, control weather, which also plays a part into something we'll talk about. Okay, after. super good. And then uh, 
true resurrection. Yeah, again, thematically very, very appropriate. This yeah. is uh, so that I'd read the spell list because I always immediately read the spell list because <laughs> they're like just fodder for my rage yeah. against most of these creatures. <laughs> and this one really worked for me. I okay. really like cool. the spell list that they I mean, chose. It fits. This is the only time I think I've ever read a monster, and I, I think that the PC spells fit. Okay. Because they're divine in origin. So these spells are given to a cleric from their deity. Right. So these spells are given to For sure. um, the, the, the Kyrene mm-hmm. from the deity that they serve as well. So I, Absolutely. Think, yeah. I think thematically, giving them cleric spells is very appropriate. Most of the time, I think secondary abilities and all that other stuff is, is, is a better choice. But this, I think, works super well. Cool. Uh, awesome. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad you're not disappointed this time. <laughs> oh, I will be when we get into the actions here. <laughs> I, just, I got nothing. Oh, God. Multi-attack. So I got three attacks, two with hooves, one with horn. That's it. This is this is the sadness. <laughs> one is a 2d4 and the other is 2d8. Like, is there, get off my lawn. Oh, and what's even worse? Uh, did you read the legendary actions? Uh, we, we've covered legendary no, actions I didn't. already. I don't think the I did. mechanic works the same. I've put in here legendary actions, lackluster central. They, uh, as a legendary action, they can detect, which means they can use a perception or insight check. No, useless. <laughs> they can smite, which gives them a hoof attack or cast sacred flame. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd change that. The too. only one that's interesting, kind of interesting, is as a legendary action, they can move up to half their speed without provoking. No, that's super useful. <laughs> that is that is, a that is so useful. Yeah, but... Oh man! Like that's it. That's like all these, I got. these are clearly not a melee thing. Like this, yeah. the the melee attacks are clearly just just because everything else has a melee attack. Like there's <laughs> Basically, no just ignore it has that. To listeners. be able to kick you and horn you. Yeah. So the move is like like their um their five foot step in Pathfinder, or their guarded step in Starfinder. Like get out of there and then cast. These are courtesy mechanics. <laughs> oh, yeah, some of them are. Innate spellcasting like is cool. Mm-hmm. Like Gassy's form is cool. Like. Yeah. Um, major illusion is cool, but like these are these are get the fuck out of dodge things. Yeah, but between sure. the spell list, the magic resistance, and the legendary resistance, like these these guys could they could pose a a, a problem. Sure, like you got a four person party and you got three level four slots and you just fucking banish everything and call it a day. Hmm. Now this brings us to the lairs and the regional effects of their lair. This for me is what makes. The Kirin the coolest. It's not because the lair is so badass or anything, or even the region effects. It's that once I finished researching this, I started to think about this creature is all about the territory it occupies and the influence it has on it. That in and of itself is just a playground for for creativity and writing. Um, and I'll kind of get into. Uh, Something that I, I had I had sort of written before that that inspired me. Okay. When I when reading this, so on uh, on the celestial planes, Kirin will live in areas uh, that are elegant and luxurious. In the material plane, they choose a similar location on top of a tall pinnacle or on a cloud solidified by its own magic. By the Kyrene's magic, by not the, the clouds' magic. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you judge them clouds. <laughs> you can have magic clouds if you want. Nimbus! <laughs> from the outside, it is indistinguishable from a natural environment, but the entrance is usually extremely hard to reach. Inside the lair, it is serene and comfortable and will remind you of a mix of a temple and a palace. If the, if the Kirin has taken on disciples, it will also serve as a site of worship, instruction, and teaching. 
Well, in its lair, the Kirin has the ability to conjure objects up to three times a day. So there's a mechanic here that's non-combat. Um, this ability is divided into three possible versions of conjuration, some of which are permanent. Okay. So they can, each of these they can do one, um, once a day, or they can do any of these up to three times a day. Conjure objects made of soft plant-based material, including manufactured objects such as cloth, pillows, rope, blankets, or clothing. <laughs> or a sweet pair of jeans. Yeah, sweet pair of jeans. Um, in the 20-foot cube worth or whatever. 20-foot cube yeah. worth of jeans. Yeah. <laughs> they can conjure objects made of wood or similarly hard plant-based objects up to 10-foot cube worth. Uh, those both are permanent. They can just create them and boom, they're there. Yeah, uh, yeah um, okay, that makes sense. The one that's not permanent is uh, same uh, theme, Objects made of stone and metal, okay. up to two foot cube worth, not permanent. So they could create like a sword for you, kind of thing, but it would dissipate after one hour. I like the idea of it hour. creating like a hearth to build a fire in, and then it just goes away after an hour, <laughs> yeah. but the fire stays. <laughs> but I love like there is this this obvious like they can they uh, each day they can slowly add something to their lair to make it a more temple and palace or luxurious type place. They can't conjure valuable things like precious metals or gemstones uh, on a permanent basis, but they can create a very uh, and how I picture it a very monastic environment that's comfortable but simple. Yeah, I don't like that. There's no consistency. Consistency there, like stone to me is a natural material, so mm -hmm. I, I would think it would fall under uh, the, w one of the permanent things. Like uh, metal is, is I think fine. My guess is it's specifically uh, non-permanent because of how a player might try to take advantage of that by saying, "Oh, can you conjure me gems?" Or they've conjured like gold and that sort of thing, and someone will t take advantage of that situation. Yeah, I mean that. Or maybe more, or maybe a dungeon master will misinterpret their ability yeah. to make it do it permanently, and, I, I, and maybe play the character, play the uh, the thing the way it wasn't intended to be. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have a very limited knowledge of geology, and I'm sure mine's even higher than some of those people out mm -hmm. there. But I know they're called gemstones, but I'm fairly confident that they are not stones, and that they are actually <laughs> minerals. <laughs> That's totally fair. But are minerals stones? No, they're they're minerals. They're well, their own thing. That's your opinion. And metal is made <laughs> up of of refined ore, which is. Um, you know, a cul culmination of elements. So th those don't fall under n like naturally occurring things. Mm -hmm. So like anything refined, like a gemstone or metal, I think would should fall under that. And it's like, like you want a stone house, just have a mm -hmm. stone house. Yeah, but you you know, you get it ten feet at a time. Maybe they should have done something uh, more along those lines. Like stone and metal's fine, but like maybe you can't. They can't create. Um, uh, What's a metal or like they can't create steel where yeah. it's like a, a, a specifically blended a blend of metals yeah. where you know steel is nickel and iron I think yeah something along those lines and maybe they can't like create something that takes a tremendous like you know uh, thousands or millions of years to create like such as this you know the the pressure like, to use to create a yeah diamond yeah that's what like I mean that. like yeah, any, anything like naturally occurring should. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess a diamond and minerals yeah. are technically naturally occurring, but right. something that doesn't require refining, right? Yeah, I think would would fall yeah, better. It require a specific process because yeah. most most temples are made of stone. Indeed, um, you can't you can't make a hearth <laughs> without without yeah. stone, which yeah. puts your whole lair in in in, in the, squarely in the fire hazard yeah. camp. <laughs> um, I guess you could dig a big hole, but anyway. Mm. Maybe that's covered under the regional effects. Is that covered under the regional effects? We're about to find out. Fire. Away? I mean, 
specifically. That's what I'm looking for. Oh, it was covered on a unicorn. <laughs> so, uh, Kieran's celestial nature is what causes the surrounding environs uh, to change. And it has a three-mile influence. That's where, fucking huge. Yeah, it's it's. What big. is that in English? <laughs> we went through this last night. We did. Um, what is three miles in kilometers? I'm on it. Just, just yell it into your earbuds for a yeah, yeah. second. We'll pause for 30 seconds. <laughs> yell the answer at us. It is 4.83 rounded up kilometers. Okay. So just under 5K. Um, I understand that Britain and the UK use miles. I'm, I'm Canadian. We're going to use kilometers. Yeah. And we will alienate you. <laughs> I, I just mean like most English Your speakers. calls out Britain. Yeah, I just want to make it clear that that's, that's just a fun joke that I do. I understand that most English-speaking countries still use miles. Yeah, it's true. It's true story. Uh, so in these regional effects, it, it, this three-mile radius of its, of its lair, water flows pure and uncorrupted. Any intentional corrupting will only last three minutes. Oh, interesting. Animals, plants, and good creatures gain a, ser- a sort of vigor as they evolve to more idealized form showing aggression almost exclusively towards natural prey only. Evil creatures can't tolerate the holy atmosphere, quote-unquote, and will go out of their way to avoid it and live as far away from the domain of a cure as they can. Curses, disease, poisons affecting good-aligned creatures are suppressed. I like it. A Kirin can cast Control Weather. So this is what, that's what, that was their eighth-level spell. Yeah. They can cast Control Weather while it is within three miles of its lair. The... Point of origin is always the closest point to the entrance of the lair. It does not need a clear line of sight to concentrate or alter this spell. Interesting. Yeah. So as long as it is within this three-mile radius, it can just control the weather, and it, it is pinpointed basically on its lair. You know, it, it's specifying almost too much, but it's, it's making it mechanically viable yeah, yeah. Uh, for the actual spell. Uh, this one's pretty cool. Winds will buoy... Non-evil creatures that fall due to no act of the Kirin allies or their own volition. They take no fall damage and descend at a rate of 60 feet per round. So unless, or if, if an enemy were to knock you over a cliff, for example, yeah. or you were to accidentally slip, okay. you will not, you will fall at a rate of 60 feet per round for six seconds and you will not take any fall damage. You will, the winds will, will guide you down. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, should the Kirin die, the effects are extinguished immediately, but the invigoration of the flora and fauna remains for three years. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. I like that. I like that they have a lasting effect. For sure. And I, I thought it was really cool. It is, their, it is their celestial presence that it says, their celestial nature that causes the surrounding environments to change and to be influenced and specifically transformed. Yeah. And they, uh, these, these animals and plants, it, it very specifically says they evolve to a more idealized form. That word might be trademarked by the Pokemon company at this point. But yeah. <laughs> did you, did you, did you mom? Did you mom? <laughs> Uh, oh, we just bring Corey Nation up again real quick because now he's a celebrity here at Encounter This. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, he said he was very specifically excited for our Digimon uh, episode. <laughs> I, I mean, you you up that to ten ten dollars a month, and then you can choose the creature. I'll I'll give you an hour episode on Agumon. There you go, Corey. <laughs> Tentamon was always my jam. But, uh, let's let's do this. Well, um, you you can come on and guest host. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you would love that. You and me, the original Digidestin. We'll do this. <laughs> Okay, so um, personal experience. I think neither of us have any. 
Absolutely none. Absolutely not. No, I didn't um, even realize what this creature was right. until about an hour before yeah. we started recording. I, this. I really want to use it now in a in a very broad like world and story sense. Yeah, um, I, this really got me spinning. So of course that that brings us straight to homebrew ideas. Like what what's off the top of your head? What what makes you want to change or what do you want to use the most? How do you want to fit it into your world? Uh, like like most things in this vein, like in the celestial vein, I want this to be kind of a scion. Of, of sorts like i i want to take all of it and i want to use all of it and i want there to be a kyrene specific monk temple mm-hmm. so that's where they get their key their yep. divine soul monks like they the, the their key is named after their 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 patron the the kyrene and they serve this kyrene who serves i don't know some some god i'm really bad with the Faerun pantheon yeah um, <laughs> it's fine <laughs> But something along those lines, um, for sure. I mean, I, 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 it's pretty obvious to go in that that monk monastery kind of idea, for sure. Um, Especially I, with the plants and good aligned creatures gain a sort of vigor and evolve to a more idealized form. <laughs> it's very thematic, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it also strikes me as a little um, national socialist. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I, I, I mean, have, yeah, they, 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 these things, it's, it's hard. It's hard to avoid that, that going that direction. And I don't yeah. think I don't think you you should like really no, fight no, that I, at all. I mean, these no. guys these guys literally were you know introduced in the Oriental adventures. Like yeah, um, and I, I I I personally I struggle with the idea of a set alignment structure. Like there there aren't sure. really gray areas mm-hmm. in Dungeons and Dragons. Which I really appreciate as a dungeon master, but as a human being, I struggle with those concepts that For you sure. neatly fit into these nine boxes. Mm-hmm. So, so reading something like evolve into a more idealized form, I immediately go to like like Doctor Mengele and like all of the terrible things that that should or mm-hmm. it does represent in culture. Whereas where my mind should go is to things like the Lotus Sutra. It's like make yourself better. Like, mm-hmm. like pick one thing and and See, become I, better. I, I interpret that as uh, they are physically changed on a biological level. They are becoming um, more uh, like they will become healthier, yeah. stronger, that sort of thing, rather than uh, a more philosophical or moral level. We're talking about like the plants and animals around being affected by this, right? And uh, and they, good creatures, yeah, and yeah, sure. And that that's yeah. where I think they would get okay. the harvesting of their key from. Like that's not okay. a thing that people right. can just do, right? Okay. So I think that's where that mm-hmm. probably, maybe even where that word comes mm-hmm. from, um, is is the their ability to use this essence that this creature helped them tame and focus, mm-hmm. and that's how they evolved into a more idealized form. Is they. They're just all like monks specifically are just all around better at human things than humans are. <laughs> There's not really a whole lot special about monks. Like when we right. get to sorcerers, they've got their innate spellcasting, warlocks, you know, they made a deal with a devil or, right. uh, you know, whatever. Wizards just studied real hard. Um, right. Clerics were given the gift, whereas monks really, I think more than any other class, have to earn it through dedication. Like you can right. you can be naturally skilled as a fighter, mm-hmm. and I guess you could probably be naturally skilled as a monk. But monks aren't about fighting; they're yeah. about betterness, and I think that's right. really truly reflected but in efficient, this creature. Efficient discipline, 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's not just betterness in one thing. Mm-hmm. It's betterness in all in things. In all things, yeah. And I think that's why Divine Soul really resonates with me okay. with this specifically. I don't know. Yeah. Again, I don't know if Kyrene's would be real in my world. Mm-hmm. But there is definitely now a Kyrene monastery right. somewhere. Yeah. I, so I, there was a, uh, I don't, I can't remember. I had to, I'll have to go back and look at my notes. Uh, but I had a, a drunk monk in my Australian campaign. And it was what, he was a brand new player. And uh, between he and I, we had come up with a, a pretty cool, uh, uh, a, a very simple backstory. But he was a drunken master monk who was a prop, properly an alcoholic. Okay. And, um, uh, but the uh, the background that I had, had created around him is he was from a, a monastery that specialized, you know, in in the uh, distilling of of liquor. But as a whole, they were they, they basically were it was a prohibition. Okay. They did not they did not consume. They gotcha. did not indulge in the alcohol. And it was like you know it was known that the the younger acolytes would at some point and they they'd have a sip. They'd sneak some and they'd sip and then yeah. they they'd, they'd go down to the local brothel downtown or down 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 the way you know down the mountain. Um, but uh, you know and it was kind of like assumed that this would happen and uh, and every acolyte would go through it. But once they became you know a full fledged uh, disciple of this monastery, it was. All or nothing, yeah. Thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, kind of like uh, I, don't, I don't know if you watch Game of Thrones. Uh, I, I no. know, uh, but it's there's a the, basically a, at the the wall to the north. Um, you are if you're a criminal, you get sent there, and and you're supposed to dedicate your life, and and you become celibate. Uh, okay. But they do sneak away. Uh, sometimes and 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 to the local brothel, and if they do, they I'm, I'm pretty sure they're killed on sight or something like that. In the, gotcha. in the lore, but and that's what happened to Jon Snow, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> I, I saw two episodes, I think. I think I know who yeah. John Snow is. Yeah. But in any case, I, I really like the idea of, of, uh, of, uh, um, these, uh, we had like these monsters also, I, I made sure they had the other specializations. So like, um, they basically had the way of the, the Kensi or Kensai, Kensei, do you know how to say that one? I'm going to say Kensai. Kensai. Um, who use weapons specifically, and but both were rivals. They were friendly rivals okay. that both specialized in calligraphy as well. Gotcha. So there was a this calligraphal calli- calligraphy background, okay. Um, that that kind of uh, sort of created a uh, a rivalry and and um, a friendship between these two monasteries. And I love I love the idea. Since reading this creature, I love the idea of of their influences and in, and this coming from a creature like the Kirin now. You know where they were. They they specialize in these things and they're proud of these things and, and they don't flaunt them or anything. But that this is what they do is yeah. what they've dedicated themselves to. But how how what got them started there? Well, they were taught that they were under the tutelage of one of these great and magnificent creatures. For sure. And I mean, maybe their writing style, the calligraph, cal, calligraph, calligrapher, calligraphic, calligraphic, calligraphic style <laughs> is is based on the movements of this majestic Kyrene, and that's why it's sure. big and yeah. loopy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. like you know that the that the flowing mane of golden, holy yeah. golden fire, exactly. Like that. Yeah, with the tufts from the Ming yeah. Dynasty, <laughs> but from the horse art. Uh, yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, I would I would so happily use them in that regard, and and I had another thought. I don't know if it would be a one shot or just a really unique way of starting a campaign. When they talk about the these uh, the people that become disciples. Uh, of a of a cure, and they're usually people that have have had the the fortitude and the tenacity were the words used to reach their lair to begin with, and then they would be deemed worthy, and then they would often become a disciple as a result because e- even though they were so already so capable, 
um, once they get there, they must realize that there's much more for them to learn and much more for them to, to you know, become better in all things. So yeah. they become these, but that, I, but they, they, it does specify that these disciples, these servants, they're not just monks necessarily. They, they operate in all kinds of ways, scouts, spies, champions for good against, uh, against evil. And I love the idea of starting a campaign. We have multiple characters who say, you, you can pick whatever class you like, but you start under the tutelage uh, you're leaving under the, okay. uh, after being under the tutelage of this magnificent creature. What got you there to begin with? Okay. Why did you approach that? You know, why did you approach the Kirin to begin with? How long have you been a disciple, and where do you think this creature would send you? And that that's like that that's the starting note of a campaign. Yeah. you know, and you and, know, all of your backgrounds are acolyte. Everyone's an acolyte. Like, yeah, that's that's cool. I like the idea of a common background yeah. a lot more than I like the idea of a common class. I think that's yeah. real neat. Like. Yeah. You just have an arcane trickster who has a Kyrene tattoo on his arm yeah. and shit like that. Like <laughs> that's that, so cool. That's his dedication yeah. is that he had to sit through that when yeah. he's so used to moving mm-hmm. and bouncing and shit. And just imagine, like, imagine if you had a player that's, that's uh, you know, they've been, uh, you know, you, one player's, like, decided, like, oh, I've been under the tutelage of this creature for hundreds of years. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, do you remember what it's like to be outside of its it, the lair and its lands? Probably not. You know, the world has changed since since you last saw it. You know, and it'd be really cool to just like have a, a, a multitude of characters with different timelines and different reasons for being there to begin with. You venture out in the world to, to very probably, very likely Thor's evil uh, that's at hand. That's you know on a mission passed down to you from a creature that's for all intents and purposes a god to you who is also yeah. serving a god to it. Yeah, the creature's like a warden. So. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. that's interesting. I like that a lot. I mean, there's there's a lot here that you can really, really play with. Mm-hmm. I cannot for the life of me, and I've been trying to think about it all day, is how I would just incorporate one into a campaign without it being like a plot point. Right. And I, I can't think of it. One of the things I like doing with creatures is, is thinking about how they just fit into the background of my world. Mm-hmm. I don't see a place for the Kyrene in my world other than something like that. Like they just exist in the background. There's uh, like you guys just encountered a place recently that just magic did not work. Right. You never really figured out why magic didn't work there. But I like throwing shit in like that. Mm-hmm. Like like you don't interact with the Kyrene, but the foliage is just fucking lush. Right. Like the yeah. dopest tasting yeah. mushrooms yeah. you've ever had in your life. Like you can just drink the syrup coming out of these maple yeah. trees, like that kind of shit. Yeah. Like you see the effects of the creature on the world, mm-hmm. but you don't actually meet the creature itself. Yeah. So I have no fucking idea why you would need a Kyrene unless I really wanted to like ram down your throat that you're a force of good and you right. didn't know it. Like right. this could be the, the, the rationale or the turning point where you as a party realize that, Oh shit, this Kyrene just came to us. Oh, maybe we are doing good in the world. Yeah. What are we actually doing? <laughs> you know, it makes you think of like, you know, experiencing those environmental effects. Like, you know, it's so often that you won't, uh, that a character won't find out why they're there. But imagine also, we, we both thought that it was really cool that the, me- the mechanic of, of the regional effects for this creature, um, that, you know, even if you were to deliberately poison the water, it would only last three minutes. That you know, you, your PCs could walk by a stream, and that could be the case for the stream. What are the chances of them ever finding that out? Like the chances of them just deliberately poisoning a stream, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, what's the deal? Yeah, I mean, right. The only thing I could think of that well, might be kind of cool is if you had a group of, of of players who genuinely thought they were good guys and had to do a terrible thing, 
in you know uh, the the rival rival the rivaling um, uh, country or land or or emperor or army or whatever. Yeah, and they actually do attempt to poison uh, a reservoir or something like that. And then they find out that it didn't work because this land is under the protection of one of these extraordinarily good creatures. Yeah. It's... And then maybe they stop and think, shit, are we on the right side? Yeah, even even in an evil campaign, mechanically, these mm-hmm. don't work well enough. And I don't see them working well enough in combat for them to be like the villain of an evil campaign. Right, like you yeah. guys are, you guys all right, play bugbears. Yeah, sure. You know, you, you want to go out and smash humans. <laughs> yeah. And it's like this Kyrene shows up and it's like, eh. I'll poke you with my horn and I'll cast major <laughs> illusion and I'll get the fuck out of dodge and I'll I'll heal one of you by accident. Yeah. But like I, yeah. Yeah. like it it really seems like it's a um, like a like more of a plot device, like a moral sure. moral yeah. standing plot, mm-hmm. de- a moral compass than than mm-hmm. anything. So I and I mean you guys are in kind of that situation whether you truly realize it or not. There's mm-hmm. this big war going on in the background because mm-hmm. as much as I try and get away from politically aligned campaigns, I can't. <laughs> I, I need I need some political background to keep me interested. Um, so I mean that that could be something that that takes you there. Like sure. you don't mm-hmm. like war. I there is no black and white, and mm-hmm. that's something that I've made you guys experience right. very viscerally. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember the orc bar mitzvah, but. Uh, Oh, you might not have been here for that. I don't, no. Um, <laughs> so one of the things I did to show in my world that there's not always, things aren't always bad, is the PCs kind of came upon this um, this orc ceremony that was going on in the trees and the orcs defended themselves. Mm-hmm. They, they attacked first because the players were interrupting a ritual. Right. The ritual was this, um, this orc child was ascending to full druidic form. Oh, okay. So this, they were Coming just, of age. Coming right. of age, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was this orc druid bar mitzvah that the PCs not only stopped, they murdered everybody in the tribe but the kid. <laughs> oh my maybe, God. Maybe the tribe leader. I'm, I'm sure my fiance could correct me on that, oh. but it it's to this day i think it still haunts her that she just yeah they just without asking it like without questioning the morality of these orcs like they weren't doing anything they just started firing upon the pcs because you can't interrupt that ceremony right and they just they just told them that you can't go further and there was no non-lethal damage there was nothing like that they just just, went in guns a-blazing just went in guns a-blazing so i i like proving those points every now and again Mm -hmm. and i think that this could be an interesting way to do that yeah it's like okay, I'm gonna hit you over the hammer with the morality hammer, or I'm gonna hit you over the head with the morality hammer, and you know this Kyrene says you're good. So whether you realize your deeds are good or not, m- micro they may not be good, but macro they're mm-hmm. they're again good in the Punnett Square, yeah, yeah, D&D, sure. yeah like yeah. values of it, and you know that's total, still total side note. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I love that. It it's something that. Uh, People should try to explore more, especially as a dungeon master, um, to really, if you can find a way to flip that on the, on the heads of, of your of your PCs. Yeah, feel free um, to steal that it's, one too. It's so it's so easy. It really is so easy to to just go in. Oh, their orcs will kill them, and and, uh, and not think twice about it. Yeah. Um, it's it, it is difficult to make the result of those decisions uh, make you question the next time you do it. Um, but if you can do it successfully, that's that's good flavor, and that is something that will that will really resonate with your players for sure. Also, thematically, make it consistent. Mm-hmm. All of my worlds are racially even. There mm-hmm. there aren't any downtrodden races. There are some rare ones in certain locales, and they get treated differently because of that. But like, there yeah. aren't any races races or, or 
things that are universally shunned. Right. There is no okay. hard and steadfast rule that mm-hmm. goblins are evil and they're bad. Right. There are plenty of tribes who exhibit bad behavior mm-hmm. in different parts of the world, but goblins as a whole are not bad. Like you can't just, yeah. you could just go kill all the goblins in the world, but there are goblin tribes out there behind the scenes who are doing good for the land. Like mm-hmm. they're filthy, nasty creatures. So I'm treating some of the, yeah. some of the more remote clans like, like dirty pigs. Were you were you here for the Goblin one shot? The Witch yeah, Smashers. Yeah, yeah. So the reason that forest and that swamp is so verdant is because the Goblin tribe is so dirty and gross. Right. Because all the, all that f- gets fertilized <laughs> yeah, into, right. the, into this swamp. <laughs> yeah. So like behind the scenes stuff like that. Like I want everything to have an ecological impact, mm-hmm. um, or at least some sort of impact on the world. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why I think the Kyrene itself might be a myth. Mm-hmm. Like I know that mechanically it works in Volos, but I think in my world it might just be a myth of how this Kyrene monastery got started or how monks in general found their key. Mm-hmm. I think that's a cool story. It's yeah. like one monk sure. met a Kyrene yeah. and it told him to channel his bodily soul energy. And that's, yeah. that's how key was invented. And that's yeah. how monks were that's created. Monk, yeah. Right. The class itself yeah. and yeah, the, the discipline and stuff. Yeah. I love that. So. Um, uh, well, on that note, we'll finish here for sure. Um, yeah, was I, a, I was a just, homebrew rant today. <laughs> <laughs> total side note, uh, I would. Uh, I just want to plug Matt Colville real quick, and I think everyone listening should go listen to, uh, he's got a great YouTube series called Running the Game. Is it st- it's still going? Uh, yeah, here yeah. and there. It's, yeah. it's less updated yeah. than I would like, yeah. but it's But there it's are still... loads of episodes on it. Uh, not all of them are short, but they are so informative They're from amazing. a perspective of a really long DM. Matt Colville is awesome. Uh, but the, he does have a specific one that's early on in the series that really resonated with me, and it's regarding alignment. Okay. Um, and it, uh, it really f- like gives a crazy perspective that never occurred to me. Um, and it even spawned a second episode. I think he, instead of doing his next topic for the next episode, he ended up doing another one, giving examples of alignment uh, in creatures and characters and that yeah. sort of thing, uh, up to and including movie characters. Because we always see those those punnet squares with the, you know, yeah, here's the I Star Wars one for lawful yeah. evil and chaotic good and that sort of thing. Yeah, so um, memed. But the, the, yeah, right. <laughs> but the thing, I, I won't be able to do it justice by any means, but I'll quickly touch on it. But what he does is he, he talks about how alignment shouldn't be, shouldn't dictate Oh, how your character acts. Rather, how your character acts is deter- determines what your alignment is. Your alignment change can and would and should change fluently and fluidly um, without having necessarily having a huge impact on the game. Yeah. You know, games like Pathfinder have very specific mechanics regarding your alignment. Five E does not. Uh, to, to a degree, to like, a degree. Sure, there, you know, there's some paladinic effects. Yeah, not but, nearly as, yeah. as nitty gritty as say Pathfinder is. Uh, but I really loved his perspective on approaching alignment in that way, where it's like, you know, if you if you are, you know, uh, lawful neutral, and then you do something evil, well, you're now you've done a you are done a lawful evil uh, deed. Yeah. Um, so your alignment shifts. Your alignment shifts, but yeah. that doesn't like necessarily change the entire world of your character. Like we we no. put too much emphasis on the alignment itself as a dictator of what we can it, and cannot it, it, do. It could though, and yeah. like so specifically with with Carl, um, he had a monk in one of our mm-hmm. games. Who, who murdered uh, a, a, a character this, yep. that he had just met and I shifted his alignment mm-hmm. and he spent that character spent the rest of his life trying to atone for that sin right. because he just took the party on their word right. and he literally ripped the throat out of the sorcerer yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was like yeah. you don't know who this is you have no information to back this up other than the party's word mm-hmm. and this is this is an evil deed so mm-hmm. your alignment yeah. is going to shift and for I sure. changed his alignment and of course in that moment like yeah that's it it's like your, your alignment um, 
can be forcefully shifted for sure. Um, and it's up to Carl to make the decision to, to you know, accept it or, or yeah. fight against it. Um, uh, but that's that's just it. Like he could he could go ahead and start doing good deeds across the board. And he did, yeah. And he did. Yeah, right? by the time which, which Skull died, him. he, uh, he yeah. was back to lawful good. Yeah. So uh, it doesn't have to be a set in stone mechanic. And I just, uh, I recommend watching the video for sure. And you should give it a rewatch. I'm going to for yeah, sure. Yeah, I plan to. Um, and if cool. I remember, I'll link that in the show notes as well. So yeah. you can just go into the description of the show and, and pick that up. Yeah, awesome. But uh, I think that's going to do it for Chirene. Chirene? 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 Oh, God. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at EncounterPod. You can email at us at info at EncounterThis.ca. You can find us at our mediocre at best home on the web, EncounterThis.ca. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash EncounterThis. And if you feel like this was worth your time and you feel like giving us a couple of bucks a month, like Corey Nash. You can hit us up at patreon.com backslash encounter this pod. Our hero. Our hero. <laughs> Thank you so much, listeners, and I hope you have a single horned day, whatever that means. <laughs> Jesus.